Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. Got a number of different topics we're going to be covering. We have a Q&A this week and uh, have some really good questions on that and some interesting news items coming up. And we're going to be doing a segment talking about something called Alphabet Squadron. We recorded it a while back. Jeremy and Gretchen, this was something you did. Give us just the real quick, what is it? It's kind of like a book discussion. Yeah. <laughs> it's our standard book discussion about a book called Alphabet Squadron. Yeah. So definitely uh, Star Wars, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been a real, you know, rough guess. Even when I'm wrong, I'm pretty much right hey, on that. I've one. been talking about Lord of the Rings lately. So yeah, this yeah. is true. This is true. We've had a couple of of good segments on that and actually gotten some questions in on it in the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to put those up for you guys to answer. So it's almost going to be a Lord of the Rings trivia and test your knowledge out there. One of the other things I'd like to invite everybody to check out is our Tech Wednesday. It's a blog over at TheAnswerPortland.com. And what we do is we look at a topic in the technology news for the week that is important and then have a corresponding blog article that tells you all about it. We dig into some depth. And I know, Gretchen, you edit some of these for us and uh, Mm -hmm. definitely get a little bit more beyond just the what's happening. And a lot of this is stuff on how to keep yourself safe, how to know what's going on around you, and how to be able to deal with using technology for the right thing. The news is brought to you by OnPoint Community Credit Union. OnPoint Community Credit Union believes that money is personal and financial advice should be too. Visit our newest branch in Sherwood today, federally insured by NCUA. OnPoint Community Credit Union. So what's in the news? TikTok and 32 other iOS apps still snoop your clipboard data. Yeah, we That talk- sounds really ominous. It is ominous, I think, and it's kind of dangerous. And there's actually an extra layer to this that makes this even worse. So uh, to start out with what this actually is, is when you use a computer or a smartphone, which is basically a computer, and use a function like copy and paste, where you're copying into the computer and then pasting it back down, that uses a function called the clipboard. And the clipboard will have data saved to it so that you can copy between apps and all of these type of things. And uh, what they're doing is these uh, applications are calling to see what's on your clipboard and then sending that information somewhere. And uh, that really disturbs me because how many people copy paste passwords or little security codes that are sent to them? Or checking account numbers or Bitcoin uh, yeah, keys. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, you know. All of that kind of stuff. And this actually goes a step further because iOS has a feature that if you're in 10 feet of another device, you can share the clipboard between devices. So now you have a situation where a rogue app is running on one of the devices. It can actually pick up the clipboard information of the computer or the other things that are around it. So um, while it's a great feature that you can cut and paste between equipment like that, it definitely has this end of it. So it's something to watch out for. And uh, hopefully something they'll get fixed. I have a feeling Apple's going to probably block the function that calls for this eventually. But right Good now, idea. it's just something to be pre- be prepared for and know that it's another thing that the bad actors can maybe get to your information. Source code leaked from multiple companies. Yeah, and these multiple companies include some of the big names like oh, Nintendo and others. Yeah. And what's going on here is a lot like when the bad guys get in and steal passwords or financial accounts. They've gotten into these systems here where they've actually been able to steal the source code from various programs, applications, games, that type of thing. And this is a bad thing for a couple of reasons. But the biggest one 
uh, isn't so much the idea of intellectual property theft from the companies, but is more if the cyber criminals have access to source code, it's a lot easier for them to figure out the weaknesses in given software because they can see how it's written, how it runs, and have a little bit better idea of where they can get into it to steal information and that type of thing. Then the next layer is, of course, the intellectual property theft. And what it looks like has happened here is there's tools for dealing with proprietary data that the users, the employees at some of these companies have been a little bit lazy with or not set up right. And in some cases, these companies don't even know that this has happened yet. CES 2021 show canceled. Yeah, and the ongoing list of cancellations, we're starting to hit 2021. CES stands for Consumer Electronics Show, and it's the big show that's been held for many, many years in Las Vegas in January. And part of this is, even if there is a vaccine or this whole thing with the virus has been handled by then, these bigger shows take some work to put together that happens a long time before the actual show. And I think that's what's playing into this a little bit, is you can't safely get people together now. So as a result, there's no way to get through the planning stage. And they can't do it last minute. They are talking about an online version of the show, which we will find out and talk about and uh, see what it is. But unfortunately, we're not going to see the physical CES this coming year. So don't some of these events take almost a year to to put together? Yeah, I've been told that uh, like the big Comic Cons and those type of things, uh-huh. you're usually planning for next year, the day after this year ends, because there's a right. lot that goes into it. You have thousands, tens of thousands of people attending. You have vendors, you have advertising, you have panels. All of this kind of stuff has to be put together and it takes a while to do it. Yeah, because we we used to do this kind of stuff as a, as a group. And um, I remember it was a lot of work and our little events were nothing compared to something like CES. Yeah. But you're still, you're looking at you know what's involved. And I think that's where we're seeing some of the cancellations that are farther out because there's no way to, oh, everything's okay now, but we're two weeks out. There, there just isn't time to do it correctly. And I think it's rightfully so. These bigger companies uh, that do these presentations don't want it to have it come off badly. So you either have time to prepare or you don't. And in this case, they figured they don't. So, you know, hopefully we'll have some normalcy next year. But even so, I think we're going to still see a lot more cancellations coming up between then and now. MP3 format is 25 years old this week. Yeah, so this is interesting to think about. So first of all, let me throw some acronyms at you, Gretchen. Um, Oh, goody. MP3 stands for MPEG Audio Layer 3. MPEG stands for Motion Picture Experts Group. Okay, so that's what all all of that is. And what it is, is it was a format that we still use today that the goal of it was to take music, be able to save it in a much smaller file, and uh, still have it sound as close as possible to the original and not be missing portions of it and that type of thing that happens a lot of times when you compress data. Now, when MP3 came out 25 years ago, our latest, greatest computer was a Pentium or Pentium 1. So you're looking at low storage capacity, low memory capacity, all that compared to today's standards. And the idea of an uncompressed file that's like on a CD that computer would not have been able to play completely correctly. So that's where this originally came from. The original idea with MP3 was that they were going to sell the technology that made the files for a lot of money to record labels and that type of thing. And then the files to play it back, the programs to play it back, would be provided free to the general audience. But what happened is is a hacker got a hold of the source code, and um, they did that by buying it with an illegal credit card and then putting it up on an FTP server. That's what file sharing was in those days. 
And when they did that, it got out there. And then all of a sudden, anybody could create an MP3 file. And from there, you ended up, maybe some of the names you remember, like Napster and that type of thing, Uh a lot for for sharing of music. And it has been embraced now. I mean, music is sold this way, but at that time, it was a really big deal. Offshore wind production in Europe won't need subsidies much longer, which I think sounds really cool. Yeah, it is. 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 It's going to show that, you know, renewable energy is kind of coming into its own. And uh, which is kind of cool. They've had offshore windmills in Europe for a long time. I've seen them. They've been there. Um, I think it went. It goes back to like 2005 when they really started working with this stuff. But they've had them longer than that. But to get them to work, there's had to have been government subsidies to be able to fund them. But it looks like they're getting to a point now where they're going to start paying for themselves. And then as soon as they get over that, they'll be able to you know fund themselves by producing power and not having to have someone pay for part of that which really is kind of cool, like you say, for renewable energy, because you're in a situation now where you have something that just works. It doesn't burn fossil fuels. You have to maintain it, but that's about it. And it's out there and it's doing its job. There's a lot of positive things with some of these um, technologies that they're working on for, you know, energy. I, Mm -hmm. I think it's exciting. No, I think it's cool. I think it's interesting too. I know some of the things around here, they've been working with wave energy offshore to be able to pick that type of thing up. And uh, in a lot of cities, they're actually putting turbines in the water pipes now. So as the water flows through the pipe, it turns the turbine and generates electricity. So there's a lot of kind of cool ideas that are out there. And as they're putting these things together more and more, like we say, it's really starting to come into its own. Absolutely. After the break, we're going to have a great show for you this week. But remember to send in your questions and your comments. That's one user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. You can call the show 24-7 at 503. 766-6264. And when you send in your questions and your comments, we get them, we use them on the air, and we can even invite you on the air sometimes. So it's a great way to get those things out there and get your information to you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Jeremy Gretchen, welcome back to the show. Hey there. Hello. So I hear we have a book discussion today. Yeah, we've actually got two things. We have uh, a Marvel comic book. Um, Jeremy calls them. Well, the Age of Rebellion, uh, Star Wars Age of Rebellion is a series, and it's usually one comic book at a time. Each one is like 30 pages, half of its ads, you know. Um so we end up buying the graphic novels, which is they take five or six comic books and stuff them together into one book. And this is the villains version. So it's Vader and, and uh, Jabba the Hutt and Tarkin. Boba Fett and Tarkin. And it's a series of different stories, but it only is about them. So we're not reading one story about Vader and then Luke and then, you know, an old story about Yoda or anything. This is all just the villains. Just the so-called bad guys. And IG-88 is also in this yes. one, too. So Yeah, it's so, pretty cool. It's a, it's a nice series. The art's pretty good. The stories are good. Um, I didn't care for the Tarkin one. I didn't think it suited his character, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Jabba the Hutt one was done well, though. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I, we so, had a listener question, by the way, about graphic novels. I'm just going to ask this before you really get into this. Okay. Are, are graphic novels in some way inappropriate for children? And I think where this comes from is the name. 
it depends on the story because um, there's uh, some versions of graphic novels that yeah. are uh, adult material. Right. Okay. It's like a different genre. It's a different genre. But the, the idea of a graphic novel is you've taken several different, instead of having to go collect 50 comic books, you collect uh, four graphic novels. And graphic refers to as pictures, not as in explicit material. Right. Okay. So the, I guess a good rule of thumb there would be to look at what your child is getting before they get it, uh -huh. just to be sure. Because, exactly. But it doesn't mean because by definition that it's adult-oriented material. Right. There's, um, I think, like a lot of high-end uh, Japanese mm -hmm. material that is for adults. It, it's definitely grown-up stuff. Okay. So, okay. It, so just check it out. It's always a good uh, idea to know what your, you know, what your children are reading anyway. All right. Age of Rebellion Villains. What did you think of it? I liked it. I, I like the comic book series anyway. I enjoy comic books. I grew up with them a lot. Um, but this is, you know, my favorite characters, except Tarkin. Um, but Boba Fett and Vader, and there's a really cool one with Jabba the Hutt in it that also has Boba Fett. Uh, there's a really cool story about IG-88. It's a good series. Uh, Marvel Comics is doing a really nice job with the with all of the uh, Star Wars comics. No, oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. There's this okay. reputation that uh, Marvel's good at movies and DC's good at the books. Uh, but it looks like that's all um, being being flipped up here in the sense that it sounds like Marvel's got a good comic book, and I know some of the upcoming DC movies are going to be really good. So good to oh, see. Cool. Now, this book called um, Star Wars Alphabet Squadron is it tied into a, a, a comic book series. Yes, it's a Star and, Wars TIE Fighter. Yeah. Um, and I think that was several years ago now. And they've given a sample inside of the book, inside of the novel of some of the drawings and stuff. And it wasn't anything that we had gotten involved in. But um, obviously, if you're into that particular comic book series, you might want to read the book. Right. Um, the book is, uh, gosh, I like Alexander Freed. Yet, um, I really felt like he wasn't very passionate about the characters. Um, I had a hard time feeling like he was in love with the characters and that these were awesome people that he just totally wanted to tell a story about. Um, I get that impression when I read uh, stuff about Admiral Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. And um, I can't remember the lady writer's name, but the Dark Disciple novel which is another Star Wars novel, <laughs> I really felt like that she um, totally cared about the characters and that the story was written with love. And I think this one almost feels like um, he was told, here, write about this, and, and it like he wasn't totally excited. He's really good at writing the military stuff. Right. The, uh, describing uh, engagements and combat and the tools. He did that also in, was it, Battlefront? Mm -hmm. Battle the Battlefront book series, not yeah. the video game. Yeah, no. <laughs> so Jeremy, you what were your thoughts on it? Okay, it's it's a good series, it's a good novel. Um you're getting to come up with, you know, uh 20 or 30 new characters that you've never heard of before and a couple that you have and then it's about engagements uh between the um re rebellion after the Empire has fallen at Endor. It's like a cleanup uh, operation. So, okay. you know, the, what's left of the Empire is fragmented, not working as well as it could. But the resistance or rebellion or New Republic or whatever you want to call it has to go in and clean up whatever the Empire is trying to do. And 
you know, it's good. I, I'm not as fond of the psychological, you know, trauma that all these people have been through and have to work on. Yeah, it's like they're beating a dead horse. Kind of. And uh, I noticed that Canto Bite, um, the Canto Bite book had the same thing where they kept repeating the same thing over and over and over. And it's like, um, this isn't a commercial. You don't need to say it three times. Right. right. <laughs> so so, so I, let me, let me sum this up then. Are you recommending this book? Yes or no. And if so, for what audience? I would recommend this book. It, it's, um, I don't believe it's for children, no. but it's, if you like star Wars and you like reading about, uh, you want to know more about what happened after the empire fell, you're going to want to read the book. It, it's about a, uh, a specific squadron called Alphabet Squadron, and they're calling it Alphabet Squadron because they're not using all of the same kind of ship. Yeah. Right. There's an X-Wing and a Y-Wing and an A-Wing and a B-Wing and a U-Wing. So they're calling it the Alphabet Squadron. Yeah, that's where they get the nickname, which okay, I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, that, no, it sounds like a lot went into the title, and, and that makes sense. And if you're going to read this book, read it all the way to the end because there's something at the very end. That's what caught my attention. That was where the intrigue started for me. And so it's like, if there'd been a follow-up novel, I would have wanted to read that one. Um, maybe more so than this one. Right. And it, it kind of tantalizes you. So I don't know what happens after that. And maybe it's, maybe it's answered in the comic books. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe. eventually there's going to be a follow-up novel. You know, sometimes that is uh, uh, presented in that way. So the book is Star Wars Alphabet Squadron. Alexander Freed is the author. Comic mm -hmm. book is Age of Rebellion Villains. Villains. Villains, yes. And it's part of the Age of Rebellion series. Uh, word that I evidently cannot say today, but we will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where we answer your questions, and in order to do that, we need you to send them to us. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. You can either call them in at 503-766-6264. That number is 24-7. Or reach out to us on social media. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. What questions do we have this week? What's up with fries? Okay, and this question is referring to Fry's Electronics, which is a big I would box. Hope so. Yeah, it's a <laughs> big box <laughs> retail store. And uh, Jeremy, you and I have been in there recently, and it seemed a little odd, let's just say. Well, yeah, it's usually a warehouse-style store, and kind of looks like half the warehouse is empty, and they're trying to move stuff around like they've been closing, but uh, they're not. Yeah, and that's the, definitely the feeling you get. There was inventory with dust on it, that kind of thing. And you would walk. And then half the stuff we were looking for wasn't there. Right, and uh, they when we asked somebody that worked there, they had said they'd been out of stock on it for a very long time. And yeah. uh, this was 3D printer filament, which is something that you would normally find at an electronics store like that. So I've tried to reach out to them, and I haven't been able to get any kind of a good answer. The only thing that I was told is that they're switching inventory methods from where they buy everything to where their vendors put it in the store on consignment, and uh, they've apparently been in the process of doing this for a while. But it definitely has an odd feeling. They say very much that they're not going out of business. However, they have closed a couple of stores in California, citing things like leases running out and, and that type of thing. I really hope Fry's doesn't close. It's one of the last places where you can go in and get components and a lot of different things. And uh, it was a neat store in its day. But yeah, we've definitely noticed this too. And 
I'm going to try to see what's going on here, and we will bring information as we get it. What is a multiverse in a comic book? So I'm going to go to our resident comic book expert, Jeremy. What is a multiverse? Okay, the, a multiverse is basically you have like your comic book series. Uh, the DC universe is set up so that there's a different universe for every type of hero. So you've got several different versions of Superman, and they all exist in different universes. So it's that that quantum theory that every action that you're thinking about happening does happen, but it happens in a different universe. With with the Spider-Man movie, the the yeah. recent one, okay, that's yeah, a good Spider-verse, yeah, yeah. So you've got different different versions of Spider-Man happening in different universes, and that's the way they've always done their stuff. So you've got uh, Earth Prime has one version of Superman, Earth One has a different version of Superman and Batman, and all those other characters. So everything that they've done takes place in a slightly different universe. And apparently there's something called a metaverse, but we'll have to research that. Yeah, that one's a little bit more confusing. Okay, this sounds complicated, but I think that's a good enough answer uh, for the moment. (laughs) Can you set up a smart home water circuit breaker? Yeah, this is an interesting question. And I actually talked to the listener that sent this in. And what they're actually talking about is an idea to be able to cut water off if there's a leak in the pipe or something like that, kind of like you do with an electrical circuit breaker. Hmm. And there actually are a couple of products on the market that do this. You can hook them up to your main water uh, valve, and it has a little motor in it that will shut the water off under different circumstances. And you pair that with a leak detector or a vacuum valve or something like that, and it has sensors that are able to trigger it. And You also could turn the water on and off remotely. But it's actually a good idea considering how much damage is done every year by leaky pipes and that type of thing. Also, if you have a vacation home or an Airbnb or something like that and want to have control over these things, it's definitely out there. There's some good products, and I'm going to try to get some leads on them so that we can review them on the show later. What is HDR on a 4K TV? Well, that's an acronym. Gretchen, I know you love acronyms. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're so exciting. And this one stands for High Dynamic Range. It's a newer feature on 4K smart TVs or 4K TVs in general. And it is one that I recommend getting. What it does is it gives you sharper colors. It's able to better display the digital information that's sent as a part of the signal, that type of thing. So it actually ends up giving you a better picture is what it comes down to. And it's something that fortunately is available on most 4K TVs now. Not all of them have it, but most mid-range and certainly most high-range would. And it's something that definitely you want to look for and take into consideration if you're going to go buy that new smart TV. What is a lamp stack? So this is a programmer's term and uh, kind of an interesting oh. question to have it come in. And a lamp- I, the image of a bunch of lamps piled on top of each other like a totem pole. Came yeah, to no, mind. that's yeah. not quite what this is. It's a, like I say, a programmer's <laughs> term. What a stack is, is it's a set of programming languages and programming environments you use. LAMP specifically stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. So it's your operating <laughs> system, your database, the programming language you're going to be working in, that type of a thing. And these are used to define different environments. So if you're looking for a job, you would program in a certain stack and that's what they would seek for. And if you know that stack, you would be able to apply for that job. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Steve is joining us. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Always fun. 
Always fun to have you here. And we've got, you know, you've done some great interviews coming up here. And I know we all just wanted to have a little conversation and uh, talk a little bit about programmers and programming and that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, the the whole thing about programming has always been something of a mystery to me. I mean, I've spent almost two decades um, in the technical support industry in a variety of different activities and functions, Um, you know, end user support writing FAQs, you know, doing regression testing on new software releases, uh, bug, you know, bug replication, you know, that kind of thing. And it has always amazed me how, you know, talented programmers generally are. Well, and patience. You know, there's a saying, uh, of course, that's my primary industry. And there's a saying that a programmer is an individual that can convert caffeine into computer code. And I think there's a certain <laughs> amount of truth to that, because that's, a, that's about what it is. And Jeremy, I know you've worked in the programming environment, and Gretchen, you have too, back with HTML3, I think it was. Yeah, three. Yep, yeah, that was a while ago, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> See, a lot of what Jeremy did was like to support stuff like with the artistic things, you know, the artwork that would have to fit in with websites and stuff like that. And, um, and what is it, the GUI stuff? Yeah, d- designing user interfaces or using a website building program that you didn't have to make all the code yourself, but... You know, but I actually yeah. did do the HTML yeah. for a while. Yeah, now you worked on, you know, and the thing of it is, Jeremy, it's an interesting point you bring up because design is completely a different discipline than programming. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm a programmer. I couldn't design a smiley face if I had to for my life. They are very different things. And there are people in huh. the world that do both. And I know, Steve, you've had some background in programming, I think. Well, very, very little. I don't, I certainly have never been trained or any series of educational classes where where I've touched on programming has been kind of a an in a support mechanism. Okay. So um like one of the programs I one of the applications I've supported uh was for creating web-based search interfaces and and they were usually java based and they took the form of like an SDK, like a software development kit or an API, an application programming interface. Right. So you, you had a, you had an existing uh, software that was deployed like, like at an office uh, or a, a company. And let's say you wanted to make a change to something on a search interface. You had the SDK where you could program lines of Java code, and then you would have to go through a process of uh, compiling that and then deploying it into your environment, and then you would see a new change. So I did have to support, at least on a high level, you know, that kind of end user functionality and, and feature implementation. Right. But I've never really done what I would consider hardcore programming. I don't, I don't have that in my background, but that's probably why I'm so amazed at what, you know, so many of you can do from a programming and design standpoint. And I know, you know, this is another side you bring up is the whole idea of support. And Gretchen, you worked in that area writing manuals for a while mm-hmm. and uh, doing, what would that be? Technical writing, I think is the name Technical of the Technical writing. Yeah. See, I'm mm-hmm. more of an organizational person. See, I did websites for a long time. That, that used to be a completely separate thing. And you'd have this person organize the structure of the websites. And then you'd have somebody like Jeremy put in the pretty stuff. And then I'd get somebody brilliant like Bill to program all the cool, flashy, you know, hot, you know, back-end data type stuff. And we would work as a team. Now you have to have all three of those components That's to one be job. a website. Oh. You know, access to all three of them. And 
You know, Steve, I know you and I were talking a little bit before we, our discussion today, and one of the things you had mentioned is that when you were working with it, a lot of stuff was written in C, C language, Correct. C, C++, and so on. And that is another aspect of it. I know one that I deal with a lot is keeping your skills current, because learning a programming language is not exactly something you do in the evening after watching television. It takes right. some discipline. <laughs> and yes. it seems like a couple of times a year, there's a completely new language that comes out that's all the rage for a little while. Right. Uh, Angular was one of those, and it's still used. It's just not quite as popular as it was. And then the language themselves are updated just like software is. So one of the bigger languages that I use is a back-end scripting language called PHP. And okay. uh, it's currently on version 7. So, And every time the version changes, you have to not really relearn the language but learn all the updates and all the new things that you can do. And then they depreciate old code. So there's some okay. things the way you did it two years ago won't work now. You know, so wow. that's definitely, definitely. Doesn't that get frustrating? Doesn't that get irritating though? It can. And it's also one of the things that can introduce problems that you wouldn't think of. Because if you have what's called a legacy application, and that's something written in an older version of a language, and all of a sudden the environment that runs that is changed, it might stop working and you might not know, you know, mm -hmm. that it's going to do that. So that's why it's so important that when you roll out code, you have environment and testing procedures and all of that kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, to be able to see if it actually works. And one of the other things you were talking about was compilers. Okay. Uh-huh. So, um, all right. So what that is, is uh, in the cases of C and other applications that are installed, you take the English language or human language code and run it through a compiler. And what it basically does is redacts it down into computer code. Right. So you can't directly edit the computer code, but you can uh, edit the source code, and then you have to rerun it. And that's a compiled language, a scripting language like PHP. The code is in plain English, and it runs that way at the point of the server, so you don't have that intermediary step. And um, depending on what you're doing depends on what's actually accurate there, because Source code is important. We were actually talking in the news earlier today about how some source code had been leaked out at Nintendo and some other places. And if the bad guys get access to your source code, they can find the weaknesses easier and be able to get in and, and hack it. Right, exactly. So, but on a scripting language that runs what's called client-side, so the end user and the browser never sees it, PHP mm -hmm. is one of those, unless you actually get access to the server, you shouldn't be able to. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, but you shouldn't be able to actually see the source code. Remember when we used to be able to see the source code? Oh, yeah. And if you have a server configured wrong, that can still happen where it'll just dump it out to the screen. Um, yeah. You, you know, so it's definitely <laughs> uh, definitely important to, to deal with all of that. I mean, I, I use that tool to be able to learn how to do things sometimes. Yeah. It's like, oh, what a cool website. How did they do this? So I would pull up the source code and go, Oh, how clever, you know, and, and you learn still, from that. And that's still on client-side code, the stuff that does run at your browser. That's you can still do. There's a view source option, and that's your JavaScript and, and HTML okay. and those kind of things. That's a, that's a client-side code, and that you can see. So generally speaking, that type of code controls the pretty parts of the site. So the pop-up windows and the wanting information and all of that kind of thing. And then when you fill out the information, it sends it to server-side code that actually processes it and saves it. That's part of how it's maintained and how it's secure. But at the end of the day, you know, you're dealing with, again, several different disciplines here because you're dealing with your designer that makes the look and feel of the user interface and the graphics and stuff. You're dealing with your programmer that's handling the actual code. And then within that, you have client-side and server-side programming. 
And then you're dealing with like what Gretchen has done with the documentation, having to write a manual and change it so it's current. So there really are a lot of different aspects with this. And guys, I hate to say it, but we're out of time. But good discussion. This is Youth Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. And you Absolutely. know, as we have been having to stay home and now it's, you know, you're able to go out again, but stuff is really kind of strange to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. Keeping motivation up to work on your projects is important and sometimes kind of hard to do. And Gretchen, I know you were going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I actually have two costume projects that I've been working on. Um one is uh, a Mandalorian from Star Wars, and the other one is uh, our little idea of wearing D&D costumes. And uh, so I've been switching back and forth between the projects. Sometimes it's hard to find the materials, or we have to order it or wait for something to show up. And it, it is really hard. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of curious, is there anybody else out there? Uh, do you have any ideas to ramp up your inspiration or your enthusiasm because we'd love to hear it and maybe we can share it with some of the others you know i've been running into this type of thing too i do some electronic projects and getting parts has been somewhat difficult to come by lately you normally order them online since radio shack went away a few years ago that's the best way to get them but there's things that they're back ordered for a few weeks and that type of thing which is really hard because Usually when you feel like working on something, you want to do it when you're feeling up to it. And then you find that you need a part or are missing something. And then all of a sudden you don't have it and can't get it. And by the time you can, the want to do it's kind of worn off. Yeah, it's like a giant roadblock, you know. Yeah. Be, uh, what is it? Scylla and, and Charybdis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, since we kind of- have a little time here, tell us about what you're doing. A Mandalorian costume. What are you doing? Okay, well, I can't really talk too much about the costume or real. Well, you know, it's armor and all those things. Right. She's she's uh, it's a it's a female costume, and it's based on one of the characters in one of the books that I'm working on. Okay, so it's an actual Mandalorian. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. cool. And, and she's outside of the normal realm of things. Uh, and then the other costume, like I said, it was a D and D inspired uh, costume, which is an elf. An okay. elf archer. And um, so I've been working with leather and trying to come up with ideas of how to put things together and, and, and like like arrows. We were thinking of making fake arrows in the uh, quiver because usually they get kind of weird at some of the yeah, shows. Yeah, you don't want any kind of a weapon. <laughs> you don't want an actual weapon. Well, and there's a lot of reasons for that, I'm sure. And, you know. So we're coming up with some ideas of how to make it look like the quiver is full. And then maybe have some other arrows in there that are harmless, you know, maybe with foam yeah. on the tips so that we can pull it out, you know, and stuff like that. Now, that'll be cool. So you'll have to post pictures of it when you have them Jeremy, ready and see what they are. Jeremy's doing lots of work with his 3D printer for this. Yeah, I yeah. can only imagine that I think would be a big part of, you know, having the ability to get these patterns and, you know, figure these type of things out. So. We'll see what comes together of that next week. I think we are going to be covering the Virtual Black Hat Conference uh, with everything else that's been going on weird this year. It may or may not come off, but we'll let you know when we know. 
And until then, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.